I'm just trying to think if there's something that's supposed to go here. I don't think so. I don't know how I forget from one week to the next. There was only six days in between. But anyway, glad to have you guys here. Welcome. I'm so glad that you're here this morning. How many are ready to receive the word of God? We've already had such a wonderful time in worship and a beautiful presence of God. And I'm starting a new series today called The Gift. And it's going to lead us up to our Christmas service, uh, Christmas Eve service, which I is my favorite event of the year. We come together as friends and families and celebrate Jesus. Amen. And uh, so I'm excited about this series because it's really going to point us to Jesus and a full understanding of who he is in our life. Amen. So let's take a minute to pray and then we're just going to get right into the word this morning. Father, I thank you today for this moment right here, right now. I thank you that your presence is here and your love is here and your joy is here, Father God. And Lord, we just thank you for what you've already done in this place. And we just give you advanced praise for what you're continuing to do throughout the rest of this service, God. That your hand is moving, your healing is moving, your hope is, is moving over their hearts, Father God. And I ask today as I share this word, Father, let it bring up a truth back into our heart. Let it give us a revelation if it's not there, Father God. But I ask, Lord, that this word will accomplish that to which it is sent. And we give you praise and we give you glory. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen and amen. Well, praise God. Well, like I said, I'm starting a new series today called The Gift, and I'm really excited about this. I believe that um, the way the Holy Spirit is moving in this season of the church of Jesus is God is moving in his righteousness, and God is moving by his spirit in a very unique way. How many would say amen? And so because of that, I feel such a responsibility as a pastor to make sure that we're teaching and training and equipping you to get ready for what is coming. You know, we're living in this moment of the kingdom, and it's wonderful, and it's different, and we're trying to figure out our way. But I believe that we have to get ready in our hearts for what's about to come. So when that, this wave of the Spirit comes, which I know is coming to the church of Jesus, we're going to be ready and assignment to step into this wave. It's not going to take us by surprise, amen. Amen. Because I think what's happening in the church today is something that the church has never seen before. And even navigating as a pastor, it's very challenging because we don't really quite know what to do. I feel like Moses, when God said, uh, you know, perform that miracle, and he says, well, I can't do it, God. You know, I can't speak. And God said, well, what's in your hand? And I feel like that's how the church is being run today. It's like, I have this. Okay, God, you know, maybe that's how you feel like you're work, walking in your Christian life. Like, I have this one thing, but I really don't have everything else figured out. And so I think it's important that we're ready and we're understanding for what is coming. So over the next three weeks, I'm going to be breaking down the symbolism of the gifts that were brought by the wise men, the gold, the frankincense, and myrrh. And today I'm going to be really breaking down the frankincense part of it. And my title is called, No One Understands Me. Has anybody ever been there before? Nobody understands what I've been going through. Like that old song, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. <laughs> you know, we feel like we're singing the blues of our life and no one understands us. And I believe today as we break down the word of God, you're going to find out that Jesus fully understands exactly where you're at. And your scenario may be different and your story may be different and what you've been challenged with over the last almost two years now. It may be different, but Jesus has been with you all the way. Amen. He's been on your side and he'll continue to be on our side. So we're going to break down the three different gifts that the wise men gave to Jesus in Matthew chapter 2. And 
as you know in that story, Jesus was born in Bethlehem under the reign of King Herod. And three wise men, or they call them magi, traveled a long distance to worship this risen or this born Jesus. Now, when you think about the nativity scene, I personally love the nativity scene. I asked Karen to bring hers in for the church because Maya and I have a tradition every year. We can't wait to bust out our nativity scene and we put it up in the house somewhere. And there's just something special about that. But as I begin to study, it's so interesting. We look at our nativity and we've heard this story over and over. And it seems like it says there's three wise men. But if you really look at history, it doesn't tell you how many wise men were actually there. We don't really know the truth. But we do know wise men showed up. And according to theologians that study this, they were highly educated. They were wealthy. And they were desperate to meet the one who might be the savior of the world. And I believe that's where we're coming as the church of Jesus. I believe there's going to be a hunger and a thirst for a, de a desperation to meet the Savior of the world. Now, the church has met Jesus. We've had good experiences. We've had moves of God. We've had a great time in the kingdom. But I believe this time that we're coming into, there's going to be a hunger for Jesus like we've never seen before. I know even in my own life, I'm wanting a more hunger for Jesus. You know, I thought maybe this last season that we've gone through in the world would make people want to break down the church and run to the church and find refuge. And in reality, it had the opposite effect. It, it sent everybody away from the church, away from community and hope, and really away from Jesus and that hunger and that fire for this revival that is coming. And so I believe that we're going to start having this return of people who are away from the Lord, hunger and thirst for him once again. How many could honestly say, you don't have to raise your hand, but we need to go back to our first love. We need our first love once again, don't we? And so these men showed up, and let's look at Matthew chapter 2. And if you could turn the AC down, it's a little warm in here. I see a lot of fans going on out there. It says this in Matthew chapter 2. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. See, I believe this time that we're coming into, when we come into worship, there's going to be a presence of God's joy. People are going to be excited about the house of the Lord once again. We're not going to have to do all these little things and gimmicks, and I love doing all these things, but when God shows up on the scene, we're not going to have to do those things. There's going to be a joy of the Lord because why? We are here for Jesus. We are here for our risen Savior. We are here for people to be healed and delivered and set free and lives to be changed. Changed. But we can only allow that hunger of the, of, the, of the Lord to come up in us by the Holy Spirit. Amen. So verse 11 says, they entered the house and they saw the child with his mother Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasure chest and gave, gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, I don't know how many of you have had children in here, but at your baby shower, has anybody ever given you gold before? I'm just checking. You might have got frankincense and myrrh because oils, essential oils are kind of, you know, popular right now. But that wasn't a common thing, right? We're used to our diapers and our wives. And, but these three wise men brought gifts. And I really want to look at these gifts because they're valuable and they're practical, but they're also deeply spiritual. And if we can really get a revelation of what these gifts symbolize and how we can apply it in our life today, it'll change our walk with Jesus forever. 
Because sometimes we can look at these things, oh yeah, that's the, that's the story of Jesus. We already know the ending, right? He's going to raise from the dead, and he's, he's our intermission to the Father. But we forget to look at the power of this moment. So if you look at the gold, it's the kingship, and we'll study that over the next couple weeks. The myrrh represents the uh, suffering servant lamb of God. We're going to study that next week, but we're going to look at frankincense and frankincense represents jesus and this was it was an oil that was given to jesus and it possessed many different ways that it could work are there anybody who are into essential oils out there like your die hard you'll rub essential oils it could stink and be horrible and you're like i don't care it works i'm going to put it on anyway so frankincense does many things now i want you to catch this revelation as i'm sharing this teaching today because it's symbolic of who Jesus is in our life. So frankincense is an antiseptic, it's an astringent, it's a diuretic, hallelujah. It helps with your digestive system, it's a sedative, it helps with your urinary tract, it's a, uh, it's a uh, therapy properties that works in our lives. So if you look at this study, um, frankincense was very expensive, but it was a practical gift. And what this oil helped do is it treated, it treats sickness. Now get this revelation. We're talking about the frankincense being a foretelling of Jesus. It treats sicknesses. It treats wounds in our heart. What does the Bible say in um, the scripture? It says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement was upon his shoulders that we may have peace. Amen. So what would happen was they'd bring these gifts and it was expensive and it had a natural ability to heal. But there was also a spiritual side of frankincense. The priest, the high priest, when they would go into worship, they would burn this frankincense, frankincense and it would be an offering unto God. So as they burned this oil, it would be like a smoke that would go up and everybody would know that was a sign of a prayer going to heaven for the people. And so as they saw the smoke going up, it was the cries of the saints. It was their, their desires and their prayers that were going up. It was symbolic. So as they were standing afar off, they would see this worship of their prayers being lifted up to God. Now, as we see this, it was symbolic of the priestly nature of Jesus Christ. Jesus is our high priest. And so as we see this natural priest giving this offering of sacrifice of fragrances, it's the same of Jesus offering up prayers to heaven for the saints. Amen. And so this frankincense, as they gave this gift, it set Jesus apart from a typical king. Because Jesus wasn't just a king. Amen. He was the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So when this gift was given to him, it was separating Jesus from any other king that would try to reign. See, there's no other God on earth but God Almighty. There's no other Savior but Jesus. There's no other way to heaven but through Jesus Christ the Son. Jesus is the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. There is one way to heaven, and it is through Jesus Christ the Son. The world would make many ways. The world would make wide ways. But Jesus said the one way, the narrow way, is through Jesus Christ the Son. And I feel like we as the church need to have this message and not be afraid to say Jesus is the way. He was set apart as the Son of God. Amen. Jesus is our high priest. And in the Old Testament, the priest served one primary role, and it was broken into two functions. 
The priest made sacrifices for the forgiveness of sin. And the priest also prayed on behalf of the people to God. Now, if you look at Romans 8.34, it says that Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father. And he's making intercession, intercession for the saints to God. So these priests were symbolic of who Jesus is in your life today. Amen? The forgiveness of your sins. So if you look back at the beginning where it all began with, with Adam and Eve and where sin came in, they had a relationship with God. Now I want you to get this. Serving God is not about rules or regulations. And you know that I'm not a sin-conscious preacher, but it is about relationship. It's about having that intimacy with God. It's about when God walked with them in the cool of the day and, and they could get into God's presence. He would talk with them and they would talk with God and they had this intimate relationship. But what happened? Sin came into the world and they sinned. And what did that sin do? Sin separated that relationship. There was a separation that took place. So what happened? At that moment, there was a battle between the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. Now, I know when I say the word holiness, everybody's like, because <sighs> you're like, holiness is all rules and it's regulations and it's control and it's bondage. But as we're going to study today, that's not what holiness is. Holiness is the perfection of God. If you look at the Greek word holy, it is agios, it's the word agios, and it means this, to be set apart. See, I feel like in the church today, and I don't just feel like it, I know it, it's almost taboo to mention the word sin in the church today. Well, you shouldn't say sin, Pastor Barb, because we don't want to be sin conscious. You know, and I'm not a sin conscious preacher, but I believe we're coming in a time where there is a spirit of repentance that needs to hit the church of Jesus Christ, not the world. The church needs to come to repentance in this hour, not because I, I need to crawl through broken glass, but I have a humble, broken heart to the Father that my heart wants to please God. My heart wants to honor God. I'm willing to lay down my flesh and my carnality to say, God, what do you want in my life? I'm willing to give it all away so that I can have your holiness in my life. And holiness is not this exterior stuff. It's not all this outward. Holiness is the heart. It's the heart that has been seared by God that says, God, I'm not going to get it right all the time. And I have some junk I got to work through, but my heart wants you. My heart desires your presence. I have a conviction of the Holy Spirit in my life. I always pray this prayer, God, trouble my heart for the things that trouble you. Because I want a heart that's bent to the Father. I don't want to be bent to the culture. For too long, the church has been bent to culture. And God is calling his church to stand up and stand bold and be willing to say, you need Jesus, a Savior that laid his life down for you, resurrected to give you new life, new hope, and new beginning. But it's not a popular concept in the world today, is it? I want to do what feels good. I want to do what feels right. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. And unfortunately, that's strong in the kingdom. It's strong in Christians because they don't want the Holy Spirit to get in their business. And I feel like we have to be careful of that in this season. God is changing. Holy Spirit wants to get in your business. Not to control you, but to free you. And I'm going to explain to you why in just a minute. I'll tell you what, I grew up, 
uh, probably very similar to the way, way you raised your children. I grew up in a generation where we hid in the basement during Halloween, and we turned the lights off, and, you know, nobody was home because the devil was outside, and, you know, my mom cut owls out of blankets and, you know, and frogs, and she still hates them to this day. And she's, this is the worst, though. My friends would call. Now, back in the day, we didn't have cell phones. We had to be at home on the landline with the long cord that could reach to the bathroom. Anybody remember that? <laughs> Trying to talk to your boyfriend, but your mom could pick up in the other room, you know, and listen. You know how many times she did that. But my mom would answer the phone because she didn't want to say, hello. <laughs> so she'd say, praise the Lord. <laughs> and you're like, I just want to die. Like... This hot guy got my number, my mom. So you try to beat her to the phone. You're like racing to chase her and praise the Lord, you know. And I know that all seems kind of crazy and like, what the heck? But I'll tell you what, that generation of kids were raised to honor God. We were raised to have righteousness and conviction, and we knew our authority, and we weren't weak and anemic, and we didn't question our faith. Yeah, we, we had some trials, but we knew who we are in Christ Jesus, and I feel like we need to get a little bit back to that. You may not have to cut owls out and say, praise the Lord, but let's put a righteous standard back in our life, amen? Let's have a standard that we live by, by the word of God. My family serves God. My family worships Jesus. My family sacrifices, and we are at church on Sunday. And yes, we tithe our income to Jesus. And yes, we serve in the local church. When we're going through hell, we're still going to serve Jesus. There's something about that generation when those parents were all in. Because you know what? They were a generation that went through hell. They weren't raised by Christian parents. They were raised by alcoholics. They were not raised by both, both parents. And so when they came to Jesus, it was this encounter that changed them forever. And as a pastor, that is my heart's desire. Yes, I love that we say the sinner's prayer. I love that you get to come to Jesus and we do that. But more than that, I want to see your life changed. I want to see your marriages better. I want to see your relationships with your friends stronger, filling this church with your friends for Jesus, winning your neighbors to Jesus, amen, growing in the things of God. But if we really don't know what Jesus did for us, and we're just living in this religious moment, we'll never understand what he did at the cross, amen? I have this quote I want to put up there. If you don't understand the holiness of God, we will always have a casual approach to sin. We need holiness back in the church. I'm talking of the heart. Amen? We need a righteousness of God in us. I want to change the way I behave. I want to change what comes out of my mouth. I want to change the way I respond to people. And I want to love God deeper than I've ever loved him before. And this season of serving Jesus has been challenging because it's like we feel like our prayers are hitting the roof. Anybody else there? I feel like my wheels are spinning in the dirt sometimes or I'm stuck in cement. I'm like, God, are you doing anything out there? But he is, amen? So God is holy. That word holy means it's set apart. Our God is perfect, amen? He's flawless. He's pure. Hallelujah. Listen, holiness is not just one of his attributes. You know, oh, well, God is holy. No, holiness is the perfection of all his attributes. All of them. Not just on if I, you know, 
swear, or whatever. I don't even know what to say. But that's not, I don't even know. I'm not going to list a bunch of sins up here. You know what I'm saying. Hey, we know our heart. All I ask is, as your pastor is that you follow the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's all I can ask. If the Holy Spirit's convicting you of an area to get rid of or put in, then just obey him. Amen. That's what holiness is. It's not about me giving you a set of, you know, Ten Commandments and say, live them. Nobody could fulfill them. That's why Jesus fulfilled them. But he does put accountability in our heart to change us and convict us. And if we tune it out too long, that voice and that conviction may wane away and we may never be troubled by the Holy Spirit. And that's why I always say, if I'm in a season where I'm not feeling this Holy, Holy Spirit, I want to stop everything I'm doing, and I'm going to get back into his presence, because the most important thing in your life is the presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So what does that mean? His power is perfect. His power is holy. It's anointed. It's perfect. His justice is holy. It's perfect. It's pure. It's been set apart. His mercy is holy amen his grace is holy everything that jesus god is is holiness so erase the picture of what you think holiness is you know whatever your picture just came in your mind i don't want to call anything out or hurt anybody's feelings but you know what i'm saying erase that because god says i am holy i am flawless i am perfect and i have been set apart amen so this is why what happens is, let me say this really quick. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Listen, every one of us in here have missed the mark. God's up here and we've been down here. We've all made mistakes. We've all fallen short, amen. And we all need the grace and the mercy of God. Listen, we all need a savior. No matter how long we've been serving Jesus or if you're not serving Jesus, you need a savior, and what happens when we allow sin to come into our life? It breaks intimacy with the holy God. Now I'm talking about the sin that the Holy Spirit is convicting you of. I'm not talking about these rules. I'm talking about the things that the Holy Spirit is quietly troubling your heart and saying, I need you to repent of that. I need you to humble yourself. I need you to get free of that thing, right? God will come with conviction. Because he doesn't want to break the relationship that he wants with you. This is why God hates sin. This is why. Because it's everything he is not. When we allow the sin nature in our life, it's everything that God is not. And to have this relationship, we have to have the forgiveness of our sins. We have to ask God to forgive us the things that he's convicting us of and lay them at his feet. When we allow sin in our life, it's the opposite of his holiness. And it disrupts this intimacy that we need to have with the Father. Does it mean God doesn't love you? Absolutely not. Does it mean his grace isn't sufficient for you? Absolutely not. But when the Holy Spirit is knocking on the heart... And he's troubling you for the things that you need to lay down. He's calling on that thing to come out of your life. Because it is a wedge and separation from the fullness of this intimacy with the Father. Amen. And what happens? Sin destroys us. We don't understand the force of sin behavior. It breaks us. It destroys our life. How do I know that? Romans 6.23 says, for the wages... The price you're going to pay for sin is death. Yeah. 
There's a price to pay when the Holy Spirit's calling us to him. He paid the ultimate price. He gave his son. And all he's asking for us as his kids to say yes. And not just at the cross, but in this relationship with him. I can't tell you in my journey with God where I've repented to God for things. He's still cleaning me out. He's still humbling me. He's still giving me wisdom in my life. We call on that grace nature of God, amen, that conviction of God on the inside of us. So let's look back really quick at the high priest and in the Old Testament. And there was a sacrifice that came once a year. Can you imagine you had to live in guilt and condemnation for a whole year, and then you got to show up at the tabernacle, and you get some kind of uh, remission of your sins, if you will, right? And so this was called, it was a temporary payment. Now, when they made the sacrifices with the high priest in the Old Testament, it wasn't forever. It was just for that moment. They had to keep coming back. They had to keep going through this ritual. They had to keep coming to this, this tabernacle to find forgiveness of their sin. It was called the Day of Atonement, or as we would know it as Yom Kippur. And during Yom Kippur, it was, it's a Jewish tradition, and it has you deny all physical pleasures. It makes you fast. Um, there's confession and there's prayer, and you're usually at the tabernacle for the 24 hours. And if you look at this, this is all the works to find holiness. And I know many of us in the Christian church, and I don't have anything against it, so let me just precursor it. You know, we do a lot of the Jewish traditions, and that's fine if you want to learn them and teach your children, but we don't have to have a day of atonement anymore. We've been given the atonement at the cross of Jesus. I have the grace and the forgiveness of God. I don't have to keep rehashing that forgiveness. God gave me that forgiveness. So you can do it. Go ahead. Do all the Jewish traditions. But we aren't bound by the law anymore. We have a new covenant. And I don't want to get too excited because it's coming in my notes later. So the high priest would make this sacrifice and he would bring this perfect innocent animal. And he would go into the tabernacle and he would go behind the veil and go into the Holy of Holies. And he would make this sacrifice. And what the, he would do is he would take the, fr the frankincense and he would burn it representing the prayers of the people who brought their sins and that high priest, remember Jesus is the high priest, the frankincense that would go up. And then what he would do is the priest would take the blood of the innocent animal and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat. Now remember, the innocent lamb, I want you to see it as we go, is Jesus. And the, the mercy seat is the throne of God. And when Jesus gave his life down, that blood was thrown onto the mercy seat. Amen. It was thrown, and this is what was being symbolic, is the death of an innocent one was repaying the price of one who deserved it. Man, that should make us all run to Jesus. Because I don't deserve his grace. I don't deserve his forgiveness. I don't deserve what he did at the cross, but he paid it for me. Everything that I've gone through and done, Jesus paid it for me. The innocent one gave me the right to receive the free gift of salvation and eternity with, with our Savior. Amen? So it symbolized that the animal would die in the place of a payment. Now what I want you to see here, and I really didn't see this until I started studying a couple weeks ago, but how many of you ever heard of the scapegoat? 
like, oh, they're the scapegoat. You guys know it. So this is a term that came from this time. They would have the goat that would lay down as the sacrifice, but then they would have the other goat. And what would happen with this goat is they would take all of the symbolic confessions of their sins, and they would transfer the sins of that, of whatever people came to sacrifice, into the second goat. And what they would do with this goat is they would run it out to the city into the wilderness or off the edge of a cliff. And that was symbolic of today when Jesus took the sins of our nature, he threw them down and sin was separated from you. That's why the Bible says your sin when you come to Jesus is from the east to the west. He remembers them no more because when they were thrown on Jesus, they were cast away out of your life. But Jesus says we have to come to him, amen? We have to come to him. So this is what happened. Your sins are being removed and separated from you. This was an extreme sacrifice. I mean, when you think about it, you think about how God would want this animal and the blood and the frankincense and all this to happen. Why would he require so much for people to be forgiven? Because God is just and he must punish sin. So remember, his he's justice he has to punish sin. But with the punishment of sin, he made a way to give mercy. So listen, God's not here to just bop you on the head and send you to hell and you're going to hell for everything you think you've done wrong or not done wrong. He said, no, there must be a sacrifice. There must be a receiving of my son because I'm justice. I have to deal with sin. But when I deal with sin, I will give you mercy. And what does Jesus say? Grace and mercy follows me all the days of my life. So, yeah, I may trip, I may fall, I may, I may lose my way a little bit, but I've got grace and I've got mercy and I've got Jesus on my side. Listen, if I lived by how good or bad I wasn't, I would never be serving Jesus today. I'd have never made it the first year I served. Well, maybe the first year I was pretty radical. But listen, you're never going to feel super spiritual. You're never going to feel forgiven. You walk in that atonement that Jesus gave us at the cross. Amen? So he's just, but he's also merciful. The sacrifice satisfies God's justice. At the same time, he extends mercy. That would be like a good line to a song, I think. <laughs> Amen? So what happened during this time of the Old Testament? It was a temporal covering. It's the old covenant. But we are not under the old anymore. Thank you, Jesus. Thank God. I would be a heathen for sure. I'd never make it through all the rituals. You know, already I'm a rule breaker, so I don't know how well I would do. But we are under a new and better sacrifice. And let me give you Hebrews 10. We're going to go through this scripture this morning. For God's will was for us to be made holy. See, God wants us holy. He wants us separated. He wants us to live a righteous and pure life. How? By the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus Christ. Look at once for all time. Yes. Woo! When, I, when they went to the tabernacle, that was a temporary. You had to keep going back and keep going back. But Jesus came once and for all. He gave it all that we could have freedom today. Verse 11, under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. That shows the law. You think, well, if I just stop cussing, that's going to make me better. If I just stop doing this. No, that's the law. 
when you come to Jesus and you receive his grace and mercy, he'll change that carnal nature. He'll change the fleshly nature. You can't change the nature out here and not change the nature in here. You'll never be forgiven by the works of the flesh. Never. Only through the Son. Amen. It's one of the old covenant. Never takes away. It's temporary. Verse 12. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sin. Good for all time. Anytime I need it, he's there for me. Anytime you need his hope, he's there for you. Anytime you're lonely, he's there for you. Anytime you're broken and abandoned, he's there for you. You don't have to do anything but come to him. He says, if you draw nigh to me, I'm going to come right near you. God's like, are you good? Who's going to go first? God's like, all we got to do is be like, God. And God's like, I'm here, man. I love you. I've forgiven you. My grace is here. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to heal you. God's just waiting for you to take the first step. And you don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to understand it all. Come to Jesus by faith. He said, unless you're born of the Spirit, you can't understand the things of the Spirit anyway. So just come to Jesus. Receive that drawing, amen. And as you're sharing this with your friends, that's what they want. They want a drawing, not of rules and regulations. They want to hear your testimony. They want to hear what Jesus has done. They want to hear the power of the cross. Forget the boundaries. Let the Holy Spirit take care of the boundaries. Just let God get in their hearts, amen. That's the freedom of God. I love this in Hebrews 4.16. It says this. It says, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. Here, I'm put up there. Hebrews 4, 14. Okay. Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. But look at the first few words. So let us come. You got to go to the throne. You got to come to Jesus. Amen. And you go boldly. I need a savior. I'm broken. I'm full of anger. I've got addiction problems. I'm miserable. I'm suicidal. I've got problems. I'm coming to you, Jesus. And I'm not going to be ashamed of what I'm facing. I'm coming boldly because I need grace from a God that can give it to me. I don't need a New Testament Bible thrown to me and says, figure Jesus out. Amen. We need to come boldly to the throne of grace. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. Man, when you feel down and out, you need Jesus the most. And what does our flesh and what does the enemy tell us? Stay away from God. You can't serve God. You can't change that behavior. You'll never be better. You'll never stop abusing. You'll never, all these things. But the very place God wants you is to his throne of grace. Amen. How much time do I got? We have to put on, the Bible says that our righteousness is as filthy rags. That means there's nothing you can do to make your life right. There's, you can't serve a thousand places. Nothing. You have robes of, of unrighteousness. And when we come to Jesus, I was going to do this illustration. I didn't do it. I probably should have. But you take off that robe and you put on the robe of righteousness. Not your robe. You put on his robe. You put on his robe so that when you are in this world and you're still figuring you're out, God doesn't look at your sin. That sin has been put at the foot of the cross. You've got the robe of righteousness. As long as you're carrying who you are in Christ, the enemy will look at you and go, that's the righteousness of God. 
be like, I don't feel like it. That's a woman of God. That's a man of God. That person has a future and a destiny and a call and is victorious and their children's children will serve Jesus. And that addiction is going to be broken in their lineage. And cancer is going to be broken in their lineage. Why? Because I've got the robe of righteousness. I don't stand in my own ability. I stand covered by the great high priest who paid the price for me. Woo! If that doesn't give you goosebumps, I don't know what will. <laughs> you know, that's not why I'm preaching it. But isn't that a great message? That thank you, Jesus, I can put on who you are and take off who I am. Because I'm stinky and I'm messed up and I'm overwhelmed. And all I got to do is take it off and put it on. That's all you got to do. That's how easy Jesus is. Let's not put people through ten steps. Just take the first one. And then love them all the way through to the other side. And you're going to have to have some ugly love and some unconditional love, amen, as they continue to grow. So when you know that this is not a temporary covering, it's a permanent removal. When you come to Jesus, it's permanent. He's not a distant Savior feeling sorry for you. He's not in heaven going, gee, you can't wait till they get here to experience some good stuff. No. He's wanting you to be blessed right now. Listen, he's the great high priest, and he understands, and he cares for you. Look at Hebrews 4 as we wrap this up this morning. So then, since we have a great high priest, wait till it gets up there, there we go, who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. You should just read that and say, this high priest understands my weaknesses. He knows your weaknesses. He understands the things that you're struggling with and what you're going through. Why? Because he faced all of the same testings that you did. And yet, he did not sin. Whew. We have a high priest who knows exactly what you've gone through every moment. If you're facing stress in your life, he understands stress. At the Garden of Gethsemane, he fell on his knees. All his friends abandoned him, and he cried with great sweats of blood, sweats of blood. He understood stress, not the cross. He didn't want the separation from his father, but he understood what stress was. Amen? He understood those things. Listen, Jesus was conceived out of wedlock by a teenage girl. That has scandal written all over it. Like he came out the gate already in trouble. He grew up in a small town known as the whispering, the bastard boy. I don't know where the enemy works in your heart, but Jesus has faced it. You will find it somewhere in Scripture. He was criticized. He was ridiculed. He was bullied. Nobody understands me. Yes, Jesus does. I may not. I may not fully grasp what you've been through in, the, in your past or in your life at this moment, but Jesus has. Because Scripture says that everything we face, he took it on his life. He experienced that emotion. He was tempted by the devil over and over again in his weak times, in his vulnerable times when he was hungry. The devil showed up in his life. The devil ever showed up in your vulnerable moments every time he like knows my address 
you know, come, the devil, but Jesus battled it with the word. He knows when the devil comes against you. He had a close friend die. He grieved the loss of family members. He was accused of things he didn't do. You ever been false accused before? That's like the worst ever. He had friends betray him. He felt abandoned. I think the worst that we experience, and the Lord showed me this when I was a youth pastor, but when Jesus died on the cross, we know that all sin, all of our sin came on him that moment. There's nothing new that Jesus didn't cover. And when God looked down, Jesus cried out. He said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'm here for you, God. I obeyed you. I did everything in this journey that 33 years that you told me to do. I said every word. I did every. I'm here for you, Father, and where are you? He understood what it meant to not have a father be there for him. He understand the pain of everything that you could go through. When you hurt, he hurts. When you feel, he feels. Amen. He became flesh. John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He became flesh and dwelt among us. His flesh understood. He was all God and all man. So do you think, oh, Jesus is some mystical character far off? He is a Savior that gave his life for you and for me. Thank you, Jesus. So this frankincense is a foreshadowing and symbolizing our great high priest. Amen. I want to ask you this morning, and it's just between you and the Lord. How long has it been since you really enjoyed God? Man. I was sitting yesterday, I don't know, doing something. Who knows? And I said, God, I can't remember the time I was really happy for you. I love God, and I love the kingdom, and I love his people. But this, when did I really enjoy you, God. Like where I really was just full of your word and your time and I was just so in love with him. Not his, not coming here, not preaching, not the after party. Those are all things we do, but I'm talking about one-on-one. When was the last time you just got alone with the Lord and walked and prayed? Or got in your car and just put on a worship song and let God speak to you? When was the last time we just prayed in the Holy Spirit and just said, God, stir me up, activate me, give me hungry for you, God? It's so easy to get in church, church and ease, whatever you want to call it. Church ease, I don't know. If you have a better one, come up with it, tell me. We can do religion so well. And yet we're missing that relationship that God is so desperately calling the church back to. Amen. If you have a loved one far away, Jesus is their Savior. If you're struggling financially, Jesus is your provider. If you're hurting emotionally, Jesus is your comforter. If you're struggling physically, Jesus is your healer. If you're tired and exhausted, wave your hands in the air. Wave them like you just don't care. We're all tired. Jesus is your strength. If you're battling anxiety, Jesus is your peace. Amen. Let me pray over you today. Father God, I thank you.
for this awesome time that we've had in your word. And Jesus, you are everything. And I pray, God, that you touch every person in this room. Touch every person watching online, Lord God. Let us hunger and thirst for you, Jesus. Let us take off our filthy rags and take on the robes of righteousness in this season, God. Draw us, Holy Spirit, once again to your presence. Draw us to your, your spirit and your word and your voice and your intimacy once again, God. Not by the works of the flesh, but by the Holy Spirit, Lord God. We say that, God, we're coming into a season where your spirit is going to move, Father God, that is not by might and it's not by power, but it is by the Holy Spirit. And I release that over everyone here today, God, and over this church, God. Let us hunger and thirst after you like never before, God want to give everyone the chance to make things right with Jesus. Maybe you're away from him and you got to come back home. Maybe you're a prodigal son and daughter and you used to love Jesus and just wandered back in here today and this message was for you. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus and God's like, this free gift is for you today. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, you'll be saved. And then we can figure everything, figure everything else together. But this is your moment to receive Jesus today. So I want everyone to repeat this prayer after me. Say, dear Jesus, I'm asking you, forgive me of all of my sin. Come into my heart, be my Lord, and be my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Give the Lord a praise this morning. Before I pass it on to Pastor Paul, there's something that I've been working on with the team behind the scenes. And in 2022, we are launching our discipleship program, Rooted. And I am so excited about it. It's a 10-week program. And it's going to take us through all of this journey of really going back to our fundamental of our faith. I mean, getting back to the importance of daily in the Word of God hearing God's voice, serving in the local church, and also discipleship and how to walk with Jesus. So we're going to have that for you in the new year, and I'm super excited for it. But I love you all. God bless you, and let's welcome Pastor Paul.